Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Lynn Citrone has supported Independent Tech News directly for five years. Be like Lynn. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, May 20th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from sunny, underneath Sunny Skies, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. And we have got some Huawei news for you. All that stuff we talked about last Thursday, the presidential orders is having some fallout this weekend. It's intricate. It's complex. It, nobody really knows what the effect is going to be. We're going to explain that all to you a little later in the show. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Kaspersky Labs announced its plans to open a new office in Kigali, Rwanda, to support its East African business. The lab will serve businesses in Rwanda and the wider region. Microsoft's Edge browser for macOS has been available for a while, if you knew where to find the link. But Microsoft now officially supporting the daily Canary builds of Edge for Mac, for macOS 10.12 and above. And Microsoft said weekly dev channel builds will be supported very soon. A database of contact information for millions of Instagram influencers and brand accounts was found unprotected on Amazon Web Services by researcher Anarig Sen, who alerted TechCrunch. The data combined public data with phone number and email addresses and estimated worth, so quite a bit of data. TechCrunch believes that the database originated with Mumbai-based social media marketing firm Chatterbox chatter without any bells. After TechCrunch contacted Chatterbox, it pulled the database offline. Realme, a sister company to Vivo, Oppo, and OnePlus, it's owned by the same parent company, is launching the Realme 3 Pro phone in Europe, runs Android 9.0 on a Snapdragon 710 chipset that improves the AI performance, and it's marketing the phone at gamers by touting some software that improves frame rate and touch responsiveness. Realme promises 21.6% improved aiming speed in PUBG Mobile. The Realme 3 Pro model starts at 175 pounds in the UK and 199 euros in the Euro zone available june 5th all right before we get to huawei let's talk a little about google glass you've heard me get on my soapbox before it's not dead and in fact there's a new version of it google glass enterprise edition 2 out monday for 999 dollars 
I mean, it doesn't do the same things as the HoloLens, but compared to the HoloLens $3,500, it does feel like a bargain. The glasses look more like glasses now, too. Uh, The frame comes from Smith Optics. Still uses that tiny little projector to beam images to your eye, so it's not full augmented reality. Google Glass 2 model runs on the Snapdragon XR1 for longer battery life and supports mobile device management. So if you're using it in the enterprise, this will make it easier to roll it out to employees because it can come pre-configured the way you would pre-configure phones and laptops. Well, and I think, you know, Google Glass Enterprise Edition 2 makes it very clear what it's for. Yeah. You know, for for the rest, you know, $1,000 for the Google Glass, like it was a failure, wasn't it? It's like, nah, that's not, you know, that Google has moved away from that entire yeah, this uh, is for strategy. Uh, this is for uh, the people who've already been using Google Glass. Logistics, manufacturing, field service industries, uh, firms like HP Fuller, Sutter Health, Deutsche Post, DHL Group, and Agco have all been clients of this. So this is this is definitely uh, something that has been doing well for Google. But like enterprise stuff, it it often doesn't get the attention because you don't see commercials for it on the Warriors game. You know, I and 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 that's sort of my next question is like, okay, well, they look a little bit more like glasses. Well, that's fine. I mean, if they're more comfortable, I understand that. But if it's for enterprise and it and it works well in the enterprise sector, it, it's it 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 doesn't matter quite as much. It, you know, the style portion of it. It is a secondary consideration, and uh, I'm curious if there's folks in the audience, and I know there are, who use this. Uh, is that something where you're like, yeah, no, we were all like, gosh, I wish they looked a little nicer when I'm walking around, you know, with clients and stuff, right? Uh, was yeah. that a consideration or were you like, no, we didn't really need this, but I guess it's okay. Let us know. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. U.S. FCC Chair Ajit Pai says he will recommend approving the $26.5 billion Sprint T-Mobile merger. The statement came after the two companies agreed to spin off Sprint's Boost Mobile prepaid service, as well as a three-year-old build-out plan for 5G service with a commitment to not raise prices during its construction. Pai said he will prepare an order on the merger in the coming weeks, which will need approval by three of the five FCC commissioners. The U.S. Department of Justice's Antitrust Division and several state attorneys general are still examining the deal but the merger isn't for sure going forward. Bloomberg says a person familiar with the review says that the U.S. Department of Justice is leaning against approval because the remedies don't go far enough. Yeah. So, I mean, Ajit Pai will probably get his fellow Republicans on the FCC commission to vote for his plan, but that's not the last word on it. Uh, If the DOJ says they don't like it, then it isn't going to happen. And the DOJ previously disapproved of a T-Mobile and Sprint merger. That was under the Obama administration. Uh, but it may still be unsatisfied and say, you know, we, we still just don't like the removal of competition, which unlike the FCC, the competitive landscape and whether it would raise prices for consumers, the two main things the DOJ is looking at, uh, Sprint and T-Mobile are saying they won't raise prices, but maybe it's not convincing enough for the DOJ, or maybe just the fact that it would go from four major carriers in the country to three is enough for the DOJ to say, yeah, no, we just, we still don't think this should happen. Yeah, you know, I, I asked uh, you guys before the show, you know, it, are people outraged about this? Because you you tend to get outraged when whenever there's a merger of, of two very large companies. And yeah, you kind of go like, well, Sprint, T-Mobile, I mean, they're not the biggest players in the market, but the two of them together uh, create a, a very large player. So, I mean, if they... Uh, if they if they say that they're not going to raise prices, I mean they can't just raise prices, right? I mean they would get in trouble for it. So you know, it's well, where 
where does the outrage really stem from? The de- the deal with the FCC says they won't raise prices for three years. Maybe that's not long enough for the DOJ. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's the fact that the DOJ says, look, uh, we we disapproved of an AT&T T-Mobile merger. And look what happened. T-Mobile went from being fourth to a very strong third that is ready to merge with Sprint uh, and become a bigger and better T-Mobile. We think maybe the DOJ thinks if we leave Sprint in fourth place, uh, the same thing will happen. If they're not looking at a merger as saving them, they'll become a better Sprint and more competition is better. Google issued some data compiled with the help of New York University and the University of California at San Diego, showing that any second factor, including on-device prompts and even text messages, can prevent the most common kind of mass scale attacks. Text message second factors, are, are they're, they're known to be something you can intercept. But in these tests, text message second factors prevented 100% of automated bot attacks and 96% of automated phishing attacks. An authenticator app was more secure and only a physical key like a Yubico prevented both automated bot and phishing attacks as well as highly targeted attacks. Those are ones where you're like, you're an important government official or, or know some, some trade secrets at a company and somebody might be gunning for you. A security key is essential there. But if you're not that, the majority of us probably get by just fine with an on-device prompt uh, or an authenticator code. And if we don't do that, if we just do SMS, it's still way better than not doing it. I know sometimes the security mind go, well, SMS, that's pretty, uh, it's interceptable. It's not perfect, but it's still better than not doing it. So if that's all your service provides you, or if you're trying to encourage someone to sign up for Second Factor and they're like, I don't want to do an authenticator. I just want to do SMS. Then say, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Uh, that is going to prevent a lot more attacks than it would if it weren't there. Yeah. You know, I think there are two reasons that somebody, you know, would not turn this on. First, they don't totally understand how it works. Mm. Second, it seems to be inconvenient. The text message version of two-factor auth, I use it often. And yes, I know it's not the, 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 the most secure way that I can go about things, but it does give me peace of mind. And it is pretty simple. You know, I mean, it works just as advertised. So if there was ever a reason <laughs> that you needed it, go ahead and turn on that two-factor auth. Now's the time. Google yeah. says so. I mean, again, it's it's basically this is saying if you turn on second factor, uh, at this point anyway, the, the situation may not last forever. At this point anyway, though, you are almost infinitely improving your security over these kinds of attacks. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's incredible just how much of an improvement, uh, having, you know, I mean, having no other challenge system is pretty bad. Uh, just using your last sign in location, which some companies do that prevents automated bots a hundred percent of the time. It does almost nothing against bulk phishing attacks using your phone number as a, like a call again, pretty good against automated bots. Not so great against bulk phishing attacks. Uh, secondary email address, 73% of automated bots. Cause sometimes they can get on your email and 68% of bulk phishing attacks, but man, it goes up to hundred percent for a security key, uh, 96% of bulk phishing attacks for SMS and 99% for on-device prompts. So there's, there is no rational reason not to turn on a second factor if it's available. Well, you're going to like this next story, I'm sure of it. Stanford University students from the school's Extreme Mobility Lab are celebrating 
a four-legged robot named Doggo, a quadrupedal robot that's unique in its low cost and also its accessibility. Doggo's total cost is less than $3,000 and its design is completely open source. So you or I or anybody can print off the plans and assemble a Doggo if we so desire. Now, granted, this is still hobbyist stuff, right? This is this is great for folks in the lab uh, who are like, ah, we can't really get the budget to do what Boston Dynamics does, but we can get together three thousand bucks. Yeah, that's that's in the school budget. Uh, that could even be in some high school budgets. Uh, so this is going to expand accessibility to these kinds of designs quite a bit, and it's the kind of thing that more amateur hobbyists might get into and, and start messing around with, which is the kind of thing you want to see right before a product category takes off. We saw it with quadcopters. Uh, we've seen it with desktop PCs, you know, back going from the Heathkit days into the, you know, Apple II days. So I think this is worth keeping an eye on. Doggo may or may not be the thing uh, mm-hmm. that, that causes the robot revolution, but it certainly is the kind of thing because you just need to buy the parts and the design is open source and it's, incredibly functional. Uh, it does a lot of the things that you used to only see a company like Boston Dynamics be able to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that we're still we're still in that period where it's like is the robot like a human? Mm, maybe not. Is the robot like a dog? People love dogs. Let's call it Doggo. That makes sense. This is a four-legged robot that is inexpensive and 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 has a lot of potential. I mean, that's that's what it is. Whether or not you want it to resemble a dog is is sort of beside the point, but it's still something that we're like, "Oh, how do I relate that to a thing that actually exists?" and then you know, be uh, impressed with the technology. Yeah, The Verge points out that this thing uh is comparable to robots that are that cost tens of thousands of dollars. For instance, it has more torque than Ghost Robotics similarly sized Minotaur which costs around $11,500. Greater vertical jumping ability than MIT's Cheetah 3 robot. It just does more because it's got a better design for the leg mechanism and the use of more efficient motors. Uh, they did some great software things where it doesn't have springs, but the software is able to treat the, tri- the I guess they're, they're quadrangles, uh, of the legs like springs to be able to absorb shocks and, and move around. So yeah, it's called Doggo because that's cute and makes people go, oh, a little robot dog. But it does way more than just be a dog. And, and it sort right. of the and, limits of it are your imagination. In fact, what it does is not really dog-like at all. It's like, wow, this is a really cool robot. Yeah, it could do flips. I mean, some dogs could do flips, I suppose. But, yeah, well, uh, not my dog. You could download the flip program for this, which you cannot do for any of our dogs. <laughs> at least I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that you can't for Ray. <laughs> Sorry, maybe. I don't know. Uh, back on April 16th, we mentioned a Hackaday article about how the 5G rollout could impact weather forecasting. If you remember back last month, the short version was that 23.8 gigahertz spectrum is very useful for measuring water vapor, but could get drowned out by nearby 5G signals. Now, it's not like 5G is broadcasting right in that spectrum, but there could be some bleed. 5G licensees are required to limit that bleed, limit out-of-band emissions. But the frequencies are so close, back when we reported on it last month, it was uncertain how much error there might be. Well, now the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration head, Neil Jacobs, testified to the House Subcommittee on the Environment that he estimates the use of 24 gigahertz frequency for 5G 
could reduce weather forecast accuracy by up to 30%, roughly as accurate as forecasting was back in the 1980s. So this is consistent with that Hackaday article. NOAA estimates 77% data loss from its satellite's passive microwave sounders, reducing the ability to predict hurricanes by as much as two days. Again, we mentioned that same thing uh, when we talked about the Hackaday article. So this is different because it's the chief of NOAA telling the U.S. Congress, like, yeah, we think this is a problem. Uh, and we need to do something about it. Senators Ron Wyden and Maria Cantwell have written a letter to the FCC chair Ajit Pai requesting the company stop using the 24 gigahertz frequency until they can be sure that it won't interfere with weather forecasts. Yeah, you know, my my initial reaction was like, eh, well, you know, who even knows when it's going to rain anyway. But when you talk about something like a hurricane, you know, mm-hmm. something that's going to affect people and potentially hurt people, this is this is pretty serious. Yeah, and we talked about back in April, like people like to say, like, oh, weather predictions—they're never right, but they are right more often than they used to be. In fact, within 24 hours, they're pretty dead on. Uh, and you may not have noticed that as it slowly got better over the years, but if suddenly it flipped back to the 1980s about whether to predict rain or not, you you would notice, and I, I think you would be upset. So what's the solution here? Uh, the, you know, yeah, what, good, you know they, like like what is there another you know piece of the spectrum we can just kind of convert all this 5G stuff to? Yeah, I mean there are plenty of other spectrums. I guess one uh, more drastic solution would be to say you just can't use the 24 gigahertz spectrum. I know you thought so. We'll refund your money for the broadcast. Uh, that would be the safest way to preserve it. But there might be ways to move the spectrum a little farther over, do some technology to prevent bleed. Uh, hopefully the carriers will get on board and say, yes, let's take this seriously. Let's come up with a solution that allows us to still use this frequency without threatening the bleed over into 23.8, without having that out of band uh, stuff. The thing is, that's costly and the carriers aren't going to want to do that. I get it. Well, and you know, if, you know, as as 5G becomes a reality for folks, and if speeds are great, you know, if you have to, you know, to kind of uh, uh, weigh your options, you know, how many folks would be like, eh, okay, we'll just go back to weather from the 1980s because, you know, I, I, I like this 5G service otherwise. Yeah. I mean, and the fact is you can still provision 5G service without using that spectrum. It's just going to be costlier because there's less spectrum to put your other services on. So, right. Hey folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. All right, we told you we'd get into it. Let's recap for those who missed last Thursday. Last week, the U.S. Department of Commerce added Huawei to an entity list that prevents it from acquiring U.S. technology without approval. This is the same thing that happened to ZTE last year. Somewhat confusing this issue is that the president also issued a directive uh, to have the Department of Commerce name companies that threaten security and prevent our domestic manufacturers in the United States from buying things from those companies. These are two different things. That order hasn't gone into effect yet because they haven't named anybody. And that would prevent, say, T-Mobile from buying routers from Huawei, potentially. But what happened over the weekend was the entity list. And this is the more disastrous one for Huawei because this says no U.S. company can sell their technology to Huawei without approval. And, well... That approval has started, has not been forthcoming, and uh, the the consequences have started to roll out. Now, the U.S. Commerce Department has said it might grant Huawei a temporary license to prevent interruption of service for existing networks as uh, regarding to the gear, because there are some rural ISPs, particularly, and a few other smaller ISPs that need Huawei tech for maintenance. Like if they're if they have a breakdown with what existing Huawei gear and they can't buy new gear, they can't fix it. That 
that temporary license would only allow for maintenance. It would not allow Huawei to build new products to sell to the U.S. Huawei CEO Ron Zhengfei said Saturday to Nikkei, it is expected that Huawei's growth may slow, but only slightly. Also, we will not change our management at the request of the U.S. or accept monitoring as ZTE has done. So on Saturday, Huawei was saying, yeah, we might lose a little growth, whatever. No skin off our nose, we'll be fine. We're not going to agree to what ZTE had to to get through this. So they, they drew their line in the sand. Huawei also said it was prepared because they can use their own high silicon chip. Uh, they can supply chips for a lot of their own products from their own chip maker. Now, Bloomberg says Huawei also stockpiled three months worth of chips from U.S. companies because it's a, a quite a different matter to change your entire supply chain and manufacturing process for chips that you make and hope those chips work as well as the ones you're replacing, then it is to say, you know what, we got three months worth of Intel Qualcomm chips sitting on the shelf. We'll be able to last this for three months. So I think that's worth paying more attention to, although they can conceivably make their own chips. The big news came on Sunday when Google said, we've got to comply with the US order. And so we're cutting off Huawei from Android products. Here's what Huawei, this is confusing, so I'll try to walk you through it. Huawei will lose early access to Android security updates, but they won't lose all access. They'll just have to wait until those security updates are published to the open source page for Android. Right now, Huawei is among the many companies who, as a licensor of Android outside of China, get early access to security updates so they can be ready on day one to, prov- to, to produce them. This would delay security updates for Huawei users. Now, Huawei says it will continue to provide security updates and after-sales service. That's probably what they mean as well. We'll just have to wait till they come to the open source page. Huawei also will lose access to the Google Play Store, to Google Play Services, and to the Google Apps like YouTube and Search and, and Maps. Not a big deal in China, where they're not allowed anyway, but any Huawei phone they sell in India or Europe or anywhere else in the U.S. or in, in the world uh, needs has those apps right now. If you own a Huawei phone right now, it's already certified to run all that stuff, so you're not going to lose access. Google isn't kicking the existing phones off. Once you're certified, you're certified, so you can run the store and your apps will continue to function. You'll be fine. You might not get those security updates, though. It does not have access to these Google products in China, so Huawei has experience creating a phone without them. However, the total cutoff will affect security update timeliness in China, too. Again, it's not that they won't get security updates. They'll come later than everybody else. Huawei also loses the ability to market under the Android name, uh, which doesn't hurt it in China, but will hurt it elsewhere. And Huawei says it has an in-house operating system under development for mobile as well as desktop. So... Potentially, they could just change operating systems, but that could be a harder sell for people who are familiar with Android. Also, major apps would need to be made for a new operating system. In fact, some major apps rely on Google Play services to run. So even if you can sideload them without using the Google Play Store, they might not run if they don't have Google Play services. And to top it all off, the chip makers also said, yes, we are going to have to comply with this and not sell Intel chips which Huawei needs for its laptops and its servers. Qualcomm chips, which it uses for modems and a few other mobile processors. Broadcom, Micron, Western Digital, and Xilinx have all stopped supplying chips to Huawei. Now, Infineon was reported to have stopped, but said, no, the great majority of our products are delivered to Huawei, not subject to U.S. export control loss restrictions. Therefore, those shipments will continue. So it sounds like maybe a few Infineon products are affected, but not all of them. And Lumentum Holdings... Uh, which is the major supplier of Apple's Face ID technology, said it 
has discontinued shipments to Huawei, and Huawei represents about 18% of its total revenue. So, Sarah, Roger, yeah. <laughs> now that we got all this like uh, nailed down, Huawei says, hey, we got three months of supplies. At least that's what the sources are saying. We also can build our own chips. We can make our own operating system. We're fine. We won't be affected. Mm. Well, the, the whole sort of growth may slow, but only slightly uh, might not ring true uh, over the last couple of days uh, on Huawei's part. But yeah, I want to know more about the operating system, which uh, reportedly has been in the works for several years, although no one's seen it. And to, you know, for, for the company to be like, eh, OK, we don't even need Android. That is a real tall order. I mean, it, that's uh, it's either Android or iOS for, I mean, for, for many folks. It really just sounds like they're putting on a brave face in in front of, at this time, a, a very intractable situation. They're looking at other options. Um, you know, it, it kind of sucks because they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And um, what they decide to do, you know, they could be one of they could take the position. Well, we wait this for two years. Maybe there might be a different administration in the U.S. And you know, all, we we can maybe ride out this storm. So to speak, but you know, on the you know, on the other hand, it's going to be painful. It's not. It's not. It's not a pain-free situation. Yeah, and there's a lot of confusion about it. In fact, in our chat room, a few people are saying, "Well, wait a minute. If a Huawei phone's already certified to run Android, can't the carrier market it? You know, like can't Vodafone or Telefonica market it as Android?" Yes and no. Any phone that's already been built and sitting on a shelf, I guess, could. But any new phone that Huawei ships can't. And we're not talking about models here. We're talking about individual phones. This is an export control. So it's about the actual device. You can't slap Android on the box and say it's Android if you don't have approval from Google to do that. So, yeah, I, I think Huawei's trying to say uh, we, can, we can play a hardball game more than ZTE. But, uh, Roger, I'm with you. I, I feel like what they're hoping is that the governments involved get this figured out within three months, that they, they built up a plan to last three months so that they didn't have to do what ZTE did. And they hope that uh, what, whatever politics are causing this uh, will, will blow over before those three months are out. Because, man, once those three months are out, it is a hard sell to have a new operating system, even in, in places in the world like India and, and Africa, uh, people recognize Android and they want that reassurance. Uh, not as big of a deal in in China, uh, perhaps, uh, but uh, it could be a blow if people are like, yeah, but I like it. I, I know it can't be called Android, but I like it. it's Android. Now you got this new operating system. And is it as good? Is it as bug proof? Is it as tested? It's uh well, and if you're Google as well, it's like, this is not fun for Google, no. you know, for anybody who's like, well, why isn't Google just refuse? You Google, know? Google and, and, and chip makers all have to do this to yeah. comply with U.S. law and lose revenue because of it. Well, uh, <laughs> a story that will be unfolding over the next three months, uh, if not more. Thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You should be with us for the next three months and many more. Submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. And we haven't checked in with Nate Langston in a while, so let's do that now. He's revealing what's coming up on the next text message, including a special guest and Netflix popularity charts. Thanks, guys. And hey, DTNS listeners, you can get double Tom this week if you listen to episode 169 of Text Message because he's on the show talking with me about how US and UK facial recognition efforts are pretty different in some ways. Plus, without Tom, sad face, 
Why exactly did Netflix choose the UK as the first country in the world to have a popularity chart feature? We have a few theories. Only some are conspiratorial. All that is available by going to techpodcast.uk and checking out episode 169 of Tech's Message. Cheerio. Ah, lovely. That was so much fun uh, to chat uh, with Nate. My only regret is that Ian wasn't on the call too, because Ian is Nate's co-host and is fantastic as well. Let's check out the mailbag, shall we? We had a great conversation last Friday about the idea of Adobe uh, doing some interactive tutorials and where people get their tutorials now and how that can be a little convoluted. Mikey D wrote in and said, I prefer to educate myself on Adobe software with Classroom in a book series by Peach Pit Publishing. Occasionally, they have a huge sale and I stock up on all the software that I own and want to become proficient in. A lot of the books have lesson files to work along with the author and instructor. And if the course is web-based, it'll have videos that show each step of the way to follow along with. Instead of having a bunch of books on a bookshelf, I prefer to download them digitally in EPUB, Mobi, or PDF format. Another great source, lynda.com, now owned by LinkedIn, which also has lesson files to follow along on a tiered subscription, where now a lot of libraries offer lynda.com for free with a library card basic plan. I became proficient in Microsoft products such as Excel and Access with their courses, and I've amazed my coworkers. Ah, amazing your coworkers is always a good thing. Thank you, Mikey D. Uh, good, good tips there uh, on that sort of thing. I am glad uh, our conversation on Friday sparked that. Uh, Absolutely. And then- uh, our conversations about Redfin have sparked another idea, Sarah. Jeff <laughs> says there's been a lot of discussion about Redfin Direct for buying a house online over the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the next Live With It segment needs to be Sarah buying a house using Redfin Direct and then living with or in it. Next, Patreon. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Let's buy a 
house. I'll tell you how it goes. It'll be great. Yes, we will buy a but, house. But I don't want. I don't want to move out after three months. Bond County, Illinois. We, we might figure out what Huawei is up to after three months, but I'm going to still be in that house, right? Yeah. Mm. I don't know where we could afford a house on our Patreon budget. <laughs> I don't know either. Mm. But, but I, I like, like where your mind's pick. going, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Think yeah. big. Uh, Think no promises, big. but uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon, whether it gets us to buying Sarah a house or not, it is incredibly important. And uh, right now, what? We're 10 days away, from, 11 days away from the end of the month, and we're up five patrons over last month. So keep it going. Let's see how many more we can get. Don't let it fall. Folks, become a patron right now, and you get all kinds of cool inside perks like RSS feeds, editor's desk uh, monologues from me, uh, live with it episodes with Sarah, sometimes not houses, but definitely tech that you appreciate, and uh, all kinds of other perks at patreon.com slash DTNS. Tell you what, I'm enjoying my smart light bulbs, taking lots of notes. Can't wait to tell you all about it pretty soon. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. If you'd like to write us, please do early and often. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with more tech news. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.